Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network for the weekend of September 10th and 11th, 2022. I'm Dustin Huffman. We got a little bit of a different format going on today. We've given Riley and Mark the weekend off as I had a long interview with ag economist Dr. Sam Funk of agserve.com. We've also talked with him before at the Farm Bureau meetings in December in Iowa. We had a chance to really take a large overview look at the ag economy, where things are, how it really interfaces with the, the economy as a whole and the global economy. So that'll be coming up in segments two and three. Russ Parker will be along in just a moment, but let's run down some of those headlines we're seeing today. We see that the NCBA has voiced support to the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee regarding the Livestock Regulatory Protection Act last Wednesday. During the committee hearing, NCBA Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart told lawmakers that NCBA strongly supports the Livestock Regulatory Protection Act, which protects farmers and ranchers from erroneous regulation. The legislation aims to prevent the EPA from issuing the Clean Air Act Title V permits for emissions like carbon dioxide, nitrogen oxide, water vapor, and methane that come from livestock production. NCBA says these emissions are naturally occurring during to a cattle's biological functions and that cattle producers continue to employ innovative practices to mitigate the impact of these emissions. Well, the biofuels industry not very happy as recently the state of California announced they will have a ban on the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. But just after they made the announcement, they also had to ask people to stop charging electric cars because the power grid couldn't handle it. This continues a general obsession with electric vehicles we've seen from policymakers in recent years. Unfortunately, these policymakers continue to ignore the clean and affordable solution that we already have. Iowa Congressman Randy Feenstra says that they'd rather push misinformation about the cleanliness of electric power than admit that biofuels are an affordable and already available solution. He said for the sake of comparison, you could even say that corn and soybeans are like little batteries that we can extract energy from. Feenstra said biofuels are great because they are a base-loaded form of energy. Of course, you can find more commentary from Congressman Feenstra and his advocacy for biofuels by visiting feenstra.house.gov. We also have that story up online with all of our other stories we follow throughout the week at iowaagnet.com. Make sure you're checking that out, and you can also sign up for our daily e-newsletter, which brings you the top five news stories in the market recaps throughout the day. Well, that's going to put an end to the news headlines to start off this episode of Weekend Ag Matters. I'll be back with you in segments two and three. But for right now, let's wrap things up here in segment one and hand things off to Russ Parker. I've noticed that the world seems to be spinning faster. Partly, I'm sure, because I'm getting older. But also, it just seems that there's so much information to keep track of. Maybe you're feeling the same way that I do. You know, I remember my first wireless telephone. It was amazing being able to walk around the house and not being corded to the phone on the wall. And then I got my first bag phone, which I could use in my car as long as the magnetically mounted antenna was in range of a tower. And then came the handheld cell phones, which at first I resisted. I did not want one. I felt at the time that they were a huge invasion on my privacy, and I really didn't want to talk to my boss from just anywhere. 
Today, I consider my cell phone to be my best tool and my biggest adversary. From a business perspective, I love it. I can be anywhere and communicate with anyone, even the boss, at any time. And the challenges may be the same thing. I'm available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And if one thinks about it, some of the reason the world seems to be going faster is because of our cell phones and how it has become such an integral and intertwined part of our lives. Case in point, I met with a young man in my office several months ago who had just been hired as the newest member of the sales team. During the entire time we were together, he had his cell phone in his hand, and even during our conversations, was checking his messages constantly. Honestly, I don't think he was trying to be rude, but rather that is just how he quote-unquote rolled. That cell phone controlled him. Life is full of many moving parts, always has been and going into the future, probably even more so. And the need to know will continue to be a high priority topic. And in these times, even that has advanced to a need to know now. So what does the message I want to offer have to do with a cell phone? Well, it's simple. What is in control of my life? What is in control of your life? We are offered a huge gift, the ability to make choices. And my choice about who and what controls me will be based on wisdom. And where does that wisdom come from? Proverbs tells us, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ, and that'll put the end on segment one here for this weekend. When we come back, we will start our conversation with Dr. Sam Funk, an ag economist with agserve.com. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Come be a part of the Mecham Gone Farming Experience. We have a vintage tractor and truck auction this month that will be the greatest spectacle of vintage tractors in decades. It's the George and June Shaft Tractor and Truck Auction, September 30th and October 1st in Frankfort, Illinois. Vintage tractors, trucks, toys, dolls, signs, whether you're selling or buying or just taking a look, this is one you don't want to miss. Go to Mecham.com for more details and to register to bid. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Well, welcome back to segment two of Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Well, we know that the ag economy has been a fragile thing and has been part of the larger discussion of the total American economy and even the global economy over the past several months and even into last year. We could talk about this stuff until we're blue in the face, but what does it mean and where are we sitting? I had the chance to talk with Dr. Sam Funk. He is CEO and economist at agserve.com to find out about the situation. And we're going to be playing that conversation in segments two and three in its entirety to really talk about where things are. How does that compare to the 80s? But how is it different with its own set of problems? And where can we find ways to maximize our return on investment, our profitability, and also manage our risk in this uncertain time? So here is the conversation we had with Dr. Sam Funk. Sam, thanks for taking some time out of your day to visit with us. Yeah, glad to be here to talk about so many important issues right now. 
Well, you know, and we talked a little bit before, you know, over last week and, and talking about the the interesting situation we find ourselves in through the, the economic uh, situation both ac- across the country but in agriculture in general. And tell us a little bit about what is, is concerning you right now and what, what, you, what you're seeing going forward. Well, you know, there are so many aspects that come around from this. Just looking at the general economic conditions, this is really one of the first times since the 80s that we've had this type of macroeconomic conditions coming on with these huge levels of inflation that we've seen in the general economy and also this increase now in what we're going to find with uh, rates for loans for agriculture. So you see that some of those more experienced economists and some of those experienced uh, ag lenders who had lived through the 80s uh, they're actually starting to retire right now. So you're going to have this next generation who's about to cut their teeth into a, um, an economic condition that's not like they've seen before or maybe when they were uh, younger and they'd started being in the profession that they're in right now. So farmers are going to find a lot of challenges and a lot of interesting situations and what they're going to have to manage through that they uh, they haven't remembered or were so far back that uh, it's going to be almost like a brand new experience for them once again. Yeah, nothing like the old baptism by fire when you're going into something like this. But you mentioned the 80s, and obviously that's been one of the biggest concerns throughout this whole ag economy situation is, is it as bad as the 80s? Uh, Some people say, no, it's not. It's not going to get there because we obviously have different provisions in place. We learned some lessons. But what are you seeing to compare it to the 80s? Well, obviously, we did learn a lot of lessons through the 80s. One of the aspects that we have right now is that a lot of uh, those in agriculture have some very well-heeled balance sheets right now. The problem with that one is that when you go in and you want to take a loan uh, and make a a short-term cash flow issue, a longer-term issue with taking out a loan against ground, that also means you may not be able to have quite the value of that land uh, considered in that loan the way you thought you were going to have. So if I have a $20,000 an acre piece of farmland and all of a sudden it may not uh, cash flow still, if they had to go back and collect on that, that 20000 piece, you could see that uh, level of investment uh, in that ground go from twenty to more like twelve. So you might see that re- re- revision uh, in what those balance sheets were and it might take off some out through there. So that's a challenge in and of itself. But when you start to think about some of these other pressures, obviously you have to think about what's going on with society as a whole, looking at green energy right now. And I think a lot of those who have studied alternative energy aspects, you know, you start to think about how do you get the batteries? How do you get these rare earth metals? And the fact is that even if you were to mine them, they're still mining that a lot of people don't think about that changes some of that environmental aspect. And right now, most of those rare earth metals are actually refined over in China. So if you want to think about China and you think about the geopolitical aspects of what's going on, I mean, obviously, when you get the Speaker of the House heading over to Taiwan, and then you see China putting missiles all around Taiwan out through there, there's another aspect for another war to break out in something which is potentially going to even be that much more impactful for our U.S. economy, because a large portion of our uh, semiconductor chips actually get replicated and come back over uh, from Taiwan. So there are a lot of ifs 
in uh, aspects that could really be not just one more black swan, but a, a flock of black swans, I saw somebody quote. So there are a number of challenges that people need to really be ready for uh, often in the future that some of these societal shifts may not be as easy as what somebody thinks it'll be with passing one $400 billion bill out of Congress. Yeah, and that's the situation. I mean, it took us, you know, in a way, it took us months and years to get to this position. It's going to take, you can't just flip a switch and, and change it back overnight. Now, you brought up China. Obviously, that, that opens up a whole situation with shipping. Also, you know, not only getting our semiconductors and the stuff we get, but also I'm sure it's going to affect how much they decide to buy from us here in the future as well, no matter what size crop we're end up being able to produce this year. Well, and that's obviously one of those uh, challenges as you think about uh, just what they had when they increased, actually, when they increased in, uh, you know, recent times after the phase one agreement with all the purchases for corn, that looked like a great boon for our agricultural economy. But then you actually saw that uh, if you were buying corn to feed the livestock in the state of Iowa, you might have been paying in the upper sevens or even into the eights. Uh, for corn for a bushel when you got into that point. China really bought a lot of that grain right before when they probably knew that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Again, geopolitics comes into a lot of aspects. They've already made some movements that they're going to buy more corn and even soybean meal now out of Brazil for this coming year, and they've waived now supposedly some of their requirements for imports. So just exactly where are they? What kind of a reliable demand source are they? Or is this something where we really need to be cautious about what kind of supplies we're going to have strategically going forward? If indeed they knew about the invasion of Ukraine, which you would expect that they probably did when Putin was there during the Olympics, you've got to be able to think then, where are we placing ourselves? Because there's a lot of lack of this market transparency that we're so large about here in the United States that you don't see in other places. So you've got this asymmetric information. They hold the information that we don't know, and so we've got to be really cautious about where we move and what kind of supplies we'll have available. There's a whole reason that we have the World Agriculture Outlook Board producing the WASDE reports, and that was because of the great grain robbery uh, that we had earlier with Russia uh, decades ago. Now we've got another aspect where we're in such a global economy that where are we going to have for those strategic uh, volumes of grain and where we're going to move? Because obviously we've got challenges on a lot of different sorts, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, a future expected ban on internal combustion engines moving into California. What do you do with the ethanol marketplace when right now that low carbon fuel standard is something that helps to spur that ethanol marketplace? How long will we be able to last? There's a lot of questions that are going to face agriculture and a lot of very big aspects. One of the things we've got right now, and we talked about some of the fertilizer aspects from last year, but right now without having very much uh, excess energy in the world, if you look at the global marketplace, are we right now going to have enough natural gas to fire off to be able to make that Haber-Bosch process with nitrogen-based fertilizers in the United States to the level that we need to? Are we going to have challenges with other fertilizers for 2023 to be able to get out there? There are a lot of questions right now for just what kind of crop can we make going into 2023 and not just looking at this drought right now that's impacting part of our corn acreages and other crops in 2022. Think about some of the movement of the cattle out of uh, some of those drought states with grass that's short 
here in Madison County, where I'm at here in Iowa, I'll tell you, some of the grass looks pretty brown and it's getting kind of sparse. So what's going to happen with the demand for hay? What are we going to see for all of these movements that are going to happen off in the future? There's a lot of really large scale questions that are going to have to be responded to for agriculture. We're going to take this opportunity to take a break here on Weekend Ag Matters on our conversation with Dr. Sam Funk. We'll take this break and come back in segment three and wrap the conversation up about this 40,000-foot view of the ag economy. Stay with us. September means that harvest is about to begin in Iowa. The 2022 growing season has provided a lot of challenges with heat and drought for many parts of the state. But as always, there are excellent crops across Iowa that are ready to be harvested. Now we must stress that it is very important to exercise safety during this essential part of a producer's year. Take the time to follow all safety instructions while harvesting so that you can take pride in the results of this year's hard work. Remember these helpful tips. During the harvest time, it is easy for farmers to not get enough rest. Remember to take breaks when doing field work. Also, as difficult as it might be, try to get adequate sleep at night, which will help you recover from a hard work day and prepare you for the next busy day. Check to make sure that you have the recommended lighting on your tractor and implements, especially when traveling in the early mornings or evenings. When possible, avoid traveling on roadways during the busy morning and evening commute times. Use an escort vehicle when necessary. Safety should be your number one priority when working to harvest this year's crop. Have a safe harvest from all of us at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to the third and final segment of Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. As we conclude this special discussion that we had today with Dr. Sam Funk, ag economist and CEO at agserve.com, about the 40,000-foot view, if you will, of the ag economy you know, and, you know, you bring up that fertilizer. Last year, we saw the prices already going up before Russia invaded Ukraine, but that obviously did not help the situation any. But you're also looking at the fact that there were farmers that maybe were fortunate and good, a good chunk of them that booked in advance of that price increase. This year, there's no escaping it. You can't book in advance to get a better price. It's a little bit better than it was, but it's starting to climb again. I mean, this is obviously a situation that is going to be a problem here for years to come unless we can find that alternative way of doing things. Well, and I've heard some of those pre-books that we've got out through there, and that's one of the questions that comes up is even if you pre-book, is there an escape clause if somebody says, I can't find that product, so we're not going to be able to deliver out through there? And that's obviously one of those uh, challenges that you can face into agriculture is that we don't necessarily take possession of all those fertilizers earlier in advance. And some of those dry fertilizers, frankly, if you hold on to them too long, can become like rocks sitting out there. So we've got to be really cautious exactly where are these products going to come forward and how are we going to be able to meet those needs. And it's not just the fertilizers. You've got to think about some of the ag chemical products. And again, think about some of the supply chain challenges. What about all those products and the other things we need like the caps for bottles or uh, the plastics that we might need to have? There's a lot of things out through this entire supply chain that have to come together for us to be able to find the inputs that we need for agriculture so that we can produce the food, fiber, fuel, and other products that come from those agricultural-based acres that we've got. 
You know, and you also brought up, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about the grain, especially here in Iowa, but you also brought up the situation with grazing and haying and the cattle feed. Now, while Iowa is a, is a high producer of cattle, I mean, it's not Nebraska, Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, that area, and they're experiencing some really bad drought, even worse some places than what we are in Iowa, and they're talking about breeding animals that are, are already being marketed off because there's not a much much to feed them, and so they're worried about production into the future, you know, once that has to come back up and we start to see some of that rainfall that's going to obviously even pass down because farmers are also consumers just like anybody else you know when you're looking at having cattle being able to sell cattle if there is a higher price because of a shortage and also then having to turn around and try to buy it at the meat counter this could be a whole interesting scenario going forward as well well when you see them trying to disperse herds and i remember back in 1995 when i was driving down to college station texas the home of texas a&m and I saw load after load of cows that were headed out of Texas to go north into some of the um, plain states further north. So when you've seen that kind of an aspect before, and it took a couple of years for some of the USDA data to finally catch back up to where all those cows had gone. And that's one of the aspects that you see these major shifts when you get these big movements in cattle. You see a lot of cattle going to market. That can start to weigh on some of the prices for, say, ground beef, because that's what a lot of those cows turn into when you take them to market out through there. And you'll see some of those movements. And then they're potentially, if you can hang on that long and you've got the resources to be able to do it, you can find that higher market later on through there. But it would be a challenge to be able to find that many more head of cattle to head into the feedlot to be able to come turn back into some of those higher value meat products later on in the beef sector. So there are a lot of challenges as we think through that aspect. Now, it can also try to weaken part of the value of those calves as you see one or more cows that have to be dispersed and maybe headed for those slaughter plants. They take some of that valuable space that those higher value animals might have been able to go through in that processing sector. So there's a balancing in there for everybody in there for how does this come about and what does this really mean longer term for the beef cattle sector. And it can be a definite challenge, and it can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people as we work our way through those economic situations. You know, and then we, on top of that, have legislation being worked on. The new farm bill comes out next year, hopefully, if they can come to an agreement. And we could be looking at a whole different house, you know, by the top of the year. and may have to start this process all over again. But now you're looking at policies that affect this marketplace as well. I mean, there's just, it seems to be hitting farmers from all sides. Well, and obviously when you see some of these larger scale uh, funding projects that have come through Congress and they're probably on their way, there's going to be a lot of debt that they're going to have to work their way through around. And there'll be a lot of challenges, especially to say that some of these programs were meant directly for agriculture. They might try to push some of those dollars into another bucket or restrict them from what we may be looking forward to. And yes, if there's a shift in, in the balance through the House, through the Senate, um, then you're going to have maybe uh, some of this balancing between what is the White House going to be able to sign off on that they're going to want for agriculture. And you might see that much more of a challenging situation to move things. Right now, I mean, just like we've seen in the Senate with a 50-50 tie and it's broken by the vice president, there could be that kind of a shift in balance where it's a more difficult aspect to move things through because you won't have that super majority and be able to override a veto necessarily. So that can be that much more of an issue as we look forward into that uh, policy. And, 
you think about some of the aspects of where are those triggers going to be for agriculture, it'll be a very interesting situation when we look at overall where we're going to be and what policies we'll be able to get through. So obviously we've, we've thrown a lot of doom and gloom here at the farmers here with the situation we're in. Are there positives that we can find in this ag economy right now that farmers can still hang their hat on? Well, you know, obviously there are when you still think about some of the value of the ground out through there. But then again, uh, to be able to get the value of the ground out through there, a lot of that becomes, do I move forward from this aspect? Is there a next generation to come in here? Can that next generation now afford to be able to take that over? Or is this an opportunity to phase and retire uh, and be able to gather some of those aspects? Obviously, a lot of people look at ground as being able to be a hedge against some of this uh, other economic uh, aspects out through there. And, and there are obviously still some uh, beneficial prices. Maybe prices on the board aren't as high as what we saw for uh, corn and soybeans earlier, but this is a very volatile point. What producers can be able to do is to be able to look for those pricing opportunities they can sell into for the buying opportunities for inputs as they become available at a level that might be able to lock in a profit going forward. And that's one of the positive aspects is when prices are higher, there's a lot of opportunity to be able to take advantage of those pricing opportunities. So it's got to be one of those where your pencil is really sharp to be able to keep up with everything you're going to do in your operation this next year. All right. So in closing, what do Iowa farmers really need to take heart in and what do they need to be thinking about going in to this fall, this harvest and getting ready for the, you know, as the, as you said, the pencils are already hitting the paper for next year. What do they need to really keep in mind and who do they need to be talking to? You know, it's, it's a time to talk to one, to talk to all of your financial advisors, your lenders. It's a time to be able to make sure that you're ready to put a risk management strategy in place and follow through with it so that you're able to take advantage. You know, when a lot of producers get FOMO, the fear of missing out, sometimes they miss out on some of the opportunities they might have had as well. Know what your uh, your price points are that you'll be able to take your inputs in your situation and make it work out to continue to get you to your longer-term objective while you get through the short-term objective right now. All right. Well, Sam, you gave us a lot of great information. I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us here today. Yeah, great to visit with you as well. All right. That is Sam Funk. Uh, he is executive economist with AgServe.com on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. And with that, we've come to the end of this special edition of Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Riley and Mark will be back with us next week after a much-deserved weekend off. We look forward to hearing about everything that they will cover here in the next week. For all of our content, you can go online to iowaagnet.com, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and on TikTok. You can also find our YouTube channel where our Ag Matters PM show goes up every day, and you can find replays of that as well. Don't forget our free twice-daily market podcast at iowaagnet.com, also through Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. From the IARN studios in Des Moines, I'm Dustin Huffman. This has been Weekend Ag Matters.